Hello, folks. Dr. Maurice Selby here, medical director, producer, and co-host of Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM and the Health in Harlem podcast. While we strive to bring you the most up-to-date, reliable, evidence-based information to help you live the healthiest life possible, this show does not substitute for an evaluation by a trained and licensed medical professional. It is highly recommended that any advice or recommendations on medications, treatments, nutrition, fitness, preventive services, etc. be implemented under the guidance and supervision of your primary medical provider or appropriate specialist. With that said, we hope that you enjoy and learn from our program, and please be sure to let us know how we can best serve you in future shows. Folks, to the Health in Harlem podcast. My name is Maurice Selby, and I am joined by Reed Vero, Ashley Francis, and Dr. Mark Silverberg. And on August 4th, 2020, in Beirut, Lebanon, two explosions, one believed to be from fireworks warehouse and a second from a depot containing approximately 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate, exploded. The blast caused catastrophic damage in the immediate area and sent shockwaves miles away from the center of the blast, causing billions of dollars in damage. More than 200 people were killed and over 5,000 injured and many more still in critical condition in the hospital. This all happened in a city and country that had suffered and to a certain extent prevailed through many years of civil unrest and strife and other challenges. And most recently was confronting significant economic challenges with the arrival of COVID-19. Today, in honor of the victims of this this crisis, this tragedy, we'll be discussing disaster preparedness. And uh, as our guest, ladies and gentlemen, we have Dr. Mark Silverberg, who is the director of disaster preparedness at Kings County Hospital Center uh, in Brooklyn. And and just before we get into the conversation, I just wanted to take a brief second to observe a moment of silence for um, our brothers and sisters in, in Lebanon. And I want to uh, thank you all in the listening audience for taking that moment with us. Um, and so uh, really, you know, one thing I think that we really is unfortunate what happened you know, sort of across the world. Um, but we really have things like this happening every day um, that I don't think we really quite think of as disasters. Right. Um, especially disasters on this scale. I think when we hear that term disaster, we think about you know, sort of what we see uh, with events like this. We think about things that we might see on uh, TV. I, I always think the first thing that comes to mind is like the sort of um, global disaster, like Armageddon scale. One of my favorite movies, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I, you know, stuff like this happens all the time. And if we just look back just a, a few years ago, um, in March of 2014, we had that uh, explosion in East Harlem. Uh, we have things like the, the current crisis that we're dealing with, right? This pandemic, um, which in many ways is a disaster. Uh, and uh, really, we can really begin to sort of address this, not when these things happen, but I think there's a lot that we can do 
to um, prepare for these things uh, in advance and really take steps to, you know, mitigate these disasters before they even happen. And so that's why we're, we're going to get into that tonight. So thank you very much, uh, Mark, for joining us. Uh, if you don't mind me calling it, I know. So uh, Dr. Course, Silverberg, <laughs> Dr. Silverberg is, um, as I said, my mentor. He's actually an assistant program director, associate program director um, in the SUNY Downstate in Kings County Hospital Emergency Medicine Residency Program. And so that's, you know, he trained me in uh, my practice of medicine and um, just, you know, really happy to have you with us. And, and thank you for taking this time to share this information with uh, ourselves and, and our audience. Well, first of all, let me thank you for bringing me on the show. And I'm, you know, really honored to be here. But, you know, once once you graduate, you're not a resident anymore. We're all, all right. equals. That's Don't forget it, okay? <laughs> all right, no doubt. No doubt. So uh, with that says, said, um, you know, essentially, what is your definition of disaster? And I think that's something that kind of changes, right, from uh, a person that sort of specializes in this and, and does this for a living versus what we, I guess, think of in a general public. Well, disasters can be big. They can be small. They can be natural. They can be man-made. And, you know, a disaster is any time that your resources are overwhelmed by what's going on. So you can have small disasters where you're just totally overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, COVID is a disaster. We're over, we were overwhelmed for a month or, you know, even five or six weeks where we could not keep up with the amount of patients coming in. So that was a disaster. You know, we went from like something like 25 ICU beds to 160 ICU beds. Yeah. The reason it wasn't a disaster anymore is because we – scaled up and we dealt with it but still it was a disaster got it and these plans i guess were in place even before all of that stuff uh sort of went down right that allowed us to be able to scale up and sort of meet those challenges i you know i'd like to think so and i'd like to admit that uh some of them were but you know you can't really be ready for seeing you know a tenfold increase in critical care patients there's no way got you could it. ever be ready for that so you deal with it with what you have and you try and find more resources and put stuff together and make it work. And so with that said, because I know there are, and you know, I've encountered this before too, um, where individuals would hear maybe a talk like this or, um, you know, know of something like this, see an article and they say, well, you know, we can't really be prepared for anything. So why worry about this uh, to begin with? And so with that said, how do we sort of uh, think about this in advance? And really, you know, thinking about the unthinkable, I think that's what, it really comes from. So what a lot of us do is once a year, we do an all ha hazards preparation plan where you think about like all hazards that can happen in your neck of the woods mm -hmm. and you try and prepare them. And the things that are more likely to happen, you try and prepare more for, you know, we're pretty prepared for hurricanes, but we're not prepared for earthquakes because we don't see very many earthquakes. So you put more resources into the things that are more likely to happen and you play the odds and hope that, you know, the things that you're prepared for, or what happens, and then it won't be such a bad disaster. Got it. And uh, this is, um, ladies and gentlemen, remember, uh, both uh, Dr. Silverberg and myself, we are emergency medicine specialists. And so um, by trade, right, this is something that we are essentially prepared for each and every day as we walk in the door. And I actually just did a trauma shift um, last, last night uh, here in Atlanta uh, in the Marcus Trauma Center at Grady Memorial Hospital. Uh, among the busier trauma centers in the country. And so walking in, man, like literally my mind goes into like, I play my theme music on, and this is no lie. I'm dead serious. This is how it goes. Like I play my music. I say my prayers going in um, because essentially, right. I'm preparing for that disaster scenario. And I don't know what it's going to be, what it could be. It can be uh, some sort of mass casualty incident, right. Um, multiple individuals, maybe. Well, I mean, one thing that's very popular, unfortunately, I think you've probably seen uh, articles very recently um, in the in the mainstream media just talking about the gun violence increase, um, you know, recently since the the slowdown uh, with COVID. Um, but just going in, man, it, like that's where my mind shifts, right? And um, I was thinking about that. I was like, wow. Well, you know, what's funny is I really don't think about that any other time in my life other than when I'm going in. Uh, to do this job and, and sort of being prepared for anything that might be thrown at us. It can be multiple gunshot victims. It could be a toxic um, sort of uh, exposure of some sort, right? And therefore, we would have to do things like decontamination and sort of removing people from this uh, contaminated source. Whatever it is, we're ready for it. But then I thought that's about it. That's right? That's 
ready for anything. Like prepare for the worst, anywhere, hope yep. for the best, and deal with whatever happens. That's the ER mantra. Yes, and uh, essentially from the top down, um, you know that's where we are as far as how we prep for these disasters. Just as Dr. Silverberg said, um, you know, if we look at the highest levels of government, we look at things like uh, FEMA, for instance. We look at things like the Centers for D- Disease Control the Department of Homeland Security, that is essentially their function is to think about these things uh, each and every day. And of course, we have, um, you know, at lower levels, we have our state governments uh, with similar agencies. We even have our local governments uh, that have these agencies. And then we have various community resources uh, to help us prep for this. But uh, we're also going to, um, at a later point in this show, ladies and gentlemen, bring it down to even the family and personal level about how to be prepared for these things um, and really just be prepared for anything that might arise. And it could be, as we said, as large scale as uh, what we've seen happen overseas in Lebanon to even just having a fire in your own home, uh, being prepared for, um, you know, what, what we think we can't be prepared for, essentially. That's you know, Bo, you bring up to. FEMA and uh, if you go on their website, they have a whole bunch of courses. The vast majority are free that anybody can take as long as you have the prerequisites and you can take any sort of disaster course you want. Just go on their website and you can, uh, it's FEMA.gov and you can pick up a lot of the courses there for free, do whatever you want. Yes, indeed. Uh, tons of resources that are offered for free, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, we're actually going to get into, uh, that as we move forward. So as the director of disaster preparedness, um, your job is really to expect the unexpected, right? Um, and so how do you guys, as far as marshalling resources, um, you know, in this uh, example with COVID, for instance, sort of upscaling the beds, um, even in, in terms of partnering with community resources, how do you sort of go about that, that planning and thought process? Well, the most important thing, Mo, is have a plan. If you try and wing it and just try and figure out what to do at the time, countless, countless times now, we've proven that that just doesn't work. Right? Things go bad. They go the way you don't have planned. You know, unexpected things happen. So if you have a plan and stick to your plan, you can try and mitigate the damages much, much, much better than if you just kind of go haphazardly and try and figure it out when it happens. So being prepared is the big part. It's the name of the game. Yes, indeed. I'm with you on that. And uh, one thing that we do continuously in emergency medicine as well is really uh, we are the, sort of the masters. I would like to say we're the masters of simulation. I mean – uh, definitely see that across other specialties, but something that uh, that we do pretty regularly um, is really put ourselves in these scenarios, right, where um, we make sure that we know where certain instruments are that we might need uh, for certain um, mass casualty incidents. We make sure that we know where the showers are for decontamination if there was a sort of toxic spill or exposure. Uh, we make sure that we know who to get in contact to right, to maybe open up certain areas of the hospital that might not be available um, uh, from the administrative level and uh, who to contact um, in order to marshal those resources to the bedside. And essentially, that's what we really need to happen, um, as we said, not just at the larger levels uh, of our society, but also within our homes and um, really in order to make sure that our families and that we are all essentially taken care of. So anybody, I mean, out of you guys, I don't know, Reed or Ashley, have you had like any disasters in your lifetime or anything you could think of as a disaster recently? I've been uh, pretty fortunate. I think (laughs) Um, I've never really experienced a disaster, Uh, maybe tiny, tiny bit of flooding in my basement when I was younger, but otherwise, uh, thankfully nothing major. Uh, yeah, I had a disaster. I live in the Canarsie area, who right by Kings County. Um, and during Hurricane Sandy, we all know what happened mm-hmm. to Canarsie and Hurricane Sandy. And that took a lot of people, including my family's house, like out of commission for a couple of days. Um, there was gas leaking. The base was completely flooded. So it's kind of like me. It's like minor things. We thank God nobody died and it wasn't a massive loss of life, like what the definition of disaster defines it as. Mm-hmm. But we're grateful for the little damage that it did do. So actually, so after that incident um, with Sandy in 2012, did that sort of change your family's 
approach to preparedness in any way? Just curious. Yes. So instead of having our freezer in the basement <laughs> now, we have it on the first oh, the floor. floor. That's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> so all of our food is located on the first floor. Before we had our, all our food was in the basement. So you know, you have the extra freezer, the extra fridge, the whole stuff that you want to mm-hmm. maybe cook next week. Yeah, all of that was gone. We had a bunch of family photos um, from like the 60s, 70s. Those oh. are gone too. So now we keep all of our photo albums. Basically, we just don't put anything in the basement anymore. So that's how we're prepared. Got it. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. But that's like, that's super important, right? Yeah. All these hospitals with their power plants and generators that are in the basement, that's the first mm. thing to get drowned and go is anything floods. So these places all move their power generators up to higher ground, either second floor, third floor, or on risers outside the building. But that's super important because if your hospital floods, the first thing you're going to lose is your power. Now you're double screwed. You got a flood and you have no power. Yeah. And I think the the importance of really, and thank you for sharing that with us, Ashley. I mean, um, you know, sort of growing up in New York City, I think that was the first time. Well, actually, we had that, that hurricane just before that, Hurricane Irene. Um, I think it was just a couple of months before that or the year before. Uh, at one point that year, too, this was in 2011, we had an earthquake. I don't know if anybody remembers that, like a very, like you felt it. <laughs> um, and so those became like realities, right, for myself and I think many other New Yorkers that weren't realities maybe before, or at least not serious considerations as far as what could happen in New York City. Um, besides other, I guess, traditional disasters. You know, we would have blizzards and stuff or some other forms of uh, extreme weather, but never like natural disasters like hurricanes. I remember there were a couple of tornado warnings and these things were just not very real to me until Sandy happened. And I think uh, going back to the outset of the show where uh, Dr. Silverberg said essentially what he does in his job is really, um, and even uh, at those larger um, levels within the hospital is really just think about what could possibly happen in central Brooklyn in New York City that could affect the hospital or affect the patients that we care for, right? And then they think about those scenarios and then begin to put things in place to address them. And um, with that said, right, so now hurricanes are essentially part of that disaster plan, right? Where Ashley and family, they move those things from the basement because they know that um, we can be susceptible to this. And really, I think that's where we really need to begin is just sort of take an inventory of our resources within the home, within our communities, um, take in, uh, think about what could possibly happen in our communities uh, or around us. And with that said, then we can really begin to plan and be ready for, you know, for the worst, essentially. I think anybody can do an HVA, a hazardous vulnerability analysis. You don't have to be a department or a hospital to do it. You can do it as a family and think about, you know, on the 1st of January, every single year, you sit down with your family and say, what could happen in our house? Could we have a fire? Could we have a hurricane? Could we have a flood? And think about what is most likely and think about what you're going to do if these things happen, especially the most likely ones. Hmm. But that's the HVA is what it is. It has a vulnerability analysis. Got it. Um, and that's something that I think we can each and all of us do uh, within, as you said, within our households, with our families. Um, and we're, we're actually going to lay that out for you. We're not going to leave you hanging um, out there, ladies and gentlemen, as far as how to sort of lay out those plans. Now, one thing um, I think that also sort of comes up, and, and I've had this conversation with family members um, and friends, is this is stressful. And actually, just the last show, we were talking about how we're like fear mongers on it. <laughs> so we said it, right, Reed? We said we're not, we're not in that category, ladies and gentlemen. Anybody out there that's thinking like, dang, man, this show is always making me think about these things. So uh, just to fill uh, Dr. Silverberg in, we we talked about ticks last week, right? And uh, uh, essentially, our our um, visual aid for people is that you know if you had this like giant house sized tick and blew it into a billion parts and just scattered it throughout the U.S., that's the tick risk. It's probably like trillions. I don't know <laughs> like, ticks everywhere, right? We have we have a problem with ticks. Um, you know, we talked about heat stroke and heat related illnesses and stuff. Um, you know, before that. And, you know, essentially began to sort of uh, guise ourselves as fear mongers out there in the Internet community. But we're not because we give you advice, right? We give you things to sort of mitigate these risks. We don't leave you hanging. 
uh, in that regard. And so that's something that I, I promise we will definitely um, get out to you. But one thing, you know, what really gets me about the fear, I'm sorry to come back to this topic again, right, about the fear mongering, because I know the stress that it creates in people <laughs> when, they, when they think about these things. Um, and with that said, I mean, it's, it's a real stress, you know, as I said, um, going into work, uh, last night into the trauma center and just being ready, uh, for anything, right. Even reviewing procedures that we don't do very often, but I reviewed them in order to be ready. Right. And there's even a little bit of a stress response that comes in, um, a level of anxiety that while we can look at it as something that can be detrimental, I actually think it's very um, useful. And one, it, it makes me aware of, right, the potential for things to go bad and to be ready for those things. Um, but in the end, and I think this is what we really need to focus on, is that it helps us reduce the stress uh, in a way, right? By thinking about these things and creating plans, um, we can actually mitigate a lot of the stress and anxiety that comes from thinking about these very things, these disasters. So thinking about the hurricanes and the flooding that can happen, thinking about uh, things like power outages. I don't know if you guys remember the the um, outage in 2003, which was actually, in retrospect, a very good time. <laughs> like, um, you know, we made the best of that situation, but like uh, all, thinking about all of these things that can happen in the city or re really wherever you live, um, as anxiety provoking as it can be, when we think about them and begin to put plans into in place to mitigate them, um, even plans into in place to prevent them. Right? Um, you talk about the ultimate mitigation, like thinking in advance in order to prevent uh, problems. So, for instance, if we go back to this situation in Lebanon, um, you know, had the government done something about that uh, ammonium nitrate just sitting there? Um, in that port, this is something that could have been completely averted, right? And so thinking about these potential uh, disasters that can arise, as stressful as it can be, I would make the case that we can really do significantly well in, in addressing that stress because we get to nip these things in the bud. Um, and even if these things do happen, we have things in place that can minimize the damage and allow us to you know, really prevail and meet in those challenges. And so, um, so for the naysayers out there, all of the people out there that think this is a negative show, it's not, <laughs> we're not fear mongers. And, uh, we deal with these challenges head on and we give you the tools to do that. And also, you know, by doing that, we can actually, uh, sort of mitigate the stress and things that, that come with it. And so, cause that stuff is very real, right? We can't avoid that. Um, and, and it's something that, uh, we definitely want to be addressed and, and thought about, um, so uh, anybody have a, an evacuation plan or like a family sort of action plan, emergency preparedness plan? Yeah, I remember I'm not going to front. I, <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> All right, go for it, Reed. <laughs> when I was younger, um, but with my family, the major concern was that we might end up having a house fire. Um, so my bedroom was on the second floor and my mom made sure that there was a uh, emergency ladder in my closet in case I needed to go out the window. Oh. Um, we had a designated spot to meet up as a family if there were to be an emergency. Um, and then we were going to go to our neighbor's house to use their phone if uh, that was going to be the case. Yeah, that's wild. Did you actually practice going down that ladder or no? No, no. No, okay, okay, I would have okay, had okay. to out the screen in the window and it would have been... <laughs> not fun to practice that's the, i'm impressed i think you're the first person i've met that has this in place actually um damn that's that's wild i'm, I'm really impressed yo. your mom is the truth uh ashley no you say this as i'm staring at my window and i'll just probably jump out of it <laughs> <laughs> that's my plan hey at least you started thinking in advance like how 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 far is that drop though i don't know I might have to call might a, have a broken ankle or two or three. <laughs> I have a third leg. So you know what? I, so I did. Oh, okay. I did live in the Bronx. At one, but I was in the South Bronx um, down by Edgewood and oh, Southern Boulevard. I said Edgewood. No, that was in Queens. I'm shot. I was in a, yeah, by Southern Boulevard and Longwood Avenue. And we had um, those buildings and they're still there. Fire escapes. And so I do remember, but we were more like hanging out on the, on the fire escape. 
Um, but I do remember how how to like go down and sort of let that ladder down and stuff. Um, I, know, I mean, we never crafted like a formal escape plan, but I do remember thinking to myself like, hey, now I know how to do this. So God forbid if something happened. So that's yeah, the important be- thing, man. Practicing, drilling, learning how to use a ladder. And then one of the things we said is super important is having a place to meet up. You should have one place close and one place far away from you. So like the neighbor's house is close and then down the block. Because what if the neighbor's house is on fire too? You can't go there. So having a second backup plan a little farther away is also super helpful. That's what's up. And, and you know, the, the thing is that where I say that I'm hard-headed, thank God I'm married now because I probably would not do this stuff on my own. And Christine will be the one to, like, make sure that this happens. But, um, you know, as an emergency doc, as I said, I got all of these disaster plans in my head for work, but never really sat down to, like, formally think about this with my family. And even, you know, WHCR is a designated station for emergency communications and updates in Harlem and actually hosted last year's um, annual Harlem Emergency Preparedness Day in September of last year. Um, And so I guess the challenge is, right, um, on the next show, you guys have to hold me to it, Reed and uh, Ashley. Um, Dr. Silverberg, too, you can send me an angry email, even though he never sends angry emails. (laughs) But um, I I have to craft a, a disaster plan by next week because we've talked about this before on Health in Harlem. And also, as I said, with WHCR as like a centerpiece um, in the disaster plans for Harlem, I should be (laughs) ahead of the curve in crafting this plan. But essentially, like that's what it has to come down to is um, I think the big thing, too, is really just having it it organized. And as Reed said, like this is why, you know, I think what your mom did was absolutely amazing. I mean, thank God nothing happened. But God forbid, if there were a fire, you knew how you were going to. Uh, potentially get out of that situation, you know, and even had um, a place where you could reconvene with your family and make sure that everybody was safe. Um, and it's a it's a challenge because I guess when you think about the immediate challenges that families face, especially now, you know, the financial things that are happening um, around the country, people facing eviction, people dealing with uh, COVID-19 and exposure to it and uh, the election coming up, there's a lot of distractions that prevent us that I think getting away from us thinking about these things. But I think really just um, finding time to sit down and discuss these things um, can be, you know, it's something that can be life-saving. And so essentially what we're saying is have a plan or a system where you could receive, uh, where you can essentially have everything laid out to make sure that we, we all get through a situation like this. Um, and, and really you have to ask yourself, does your family have any sort of plan in place? Right. And really begin to, um, to craft this out for yourselves. And I think the challenge is really to get down to the nitty gritty, like actually writing this out and having a family meeting. And if you go to actually, um, ready.gov, which is a site. And I think, uh, Dr. Silverberg was referencing this when he said that they have all of these resources to help you prepare. They actually have. Um, on their, that home page, it's a family sit- seated at a table and they're having a meeting about disaster planning, uh, essentially. And but what you're saying is true, Mo. It needs to happen. It's about the family, right? Because, you know, I'm, uh, if I'm just me and I have nobody to worry about myself. I'll grab my toothbrush, I'll grab a shirt, and I'm out. And, you know, I got a credit card. I'll deal with whatever else happens. But mm-hmm. when you have a family, you got to plan for all these things because there's more than just you involved. You have to think about the others as well. True story. And even as an individual, um, you know, just having even things like that escape route, are you going to take the fire escape if you have one? Um, Is there an emergency exit or a stairway that you can use if there were a fire in your building or something, you know, disastrous that happened? Um, Do you have a place that you would crash if, you know, your place was uh, burned out or a disaster on the level of what happened in, in Lebanon happened? Like, where are you going to go? And what resources are available to you um, to deal with that? I think that's something to think about. Even just thinking about the resources in your area. Um, Are there places where there's temporary shelter, right? So schools, um, sports complexes. We saw what happened, you know, in Katrina um, back in 2005. And and that was sort of a major gathering area, right? Um, And just being aware that that might be the plan um as far as 
what is in place by government governmental agencies, just being aware of that stuff in advance and in crafting or at least having a plan to get to those areas to get to those resources, um, I think is really important. And I mean, that was a, a disaster on a whole different level. I don't think anybody anticipated the flooding and, you know, there's challenges that present itself uh, within, but at least having um, in that plan that you have to get to that, that resource, um, that's something that is huge. And if we go even further, really, aside from just crafting these plans for your family, really looking at the individual, um, I think that's probably the, the biggest thing. And this is where I think the go bag really sort of uh, comes in. So you care to take us, um, what would be, I guess, in, in your go bag, read? <laughs> Um, that's a good or question. Especially break it down. I guess what's, what is the go bag? So the go bag is uh, something that you have in a place that you know, someplace you can access pretty easily. So either in your car, somewhere in your house that you know where it is. Um, and it has all the supplies you would need in case a disaster happened. Um, so in my go bag, definitely have a flashlight. Uh, the power went out at my house all the time. Um, so flashlight, first of all, maybe even some matches, um, maybe a tent if I'm feeling crazy, feel like I need to camp out somewhere. Um, I didn't think of that. That's pretty dope. Definitely a gallon or two of water, Um, probably some canned foods or some non-perishable things that I could uh, eat. Um, Another thing to consider is if somebody in your family needs medication, having backup medication in your go bag uh, is definitely ideal if you need to leave other medications behind. I'm with you on that. Um, Other things that you would uh, think about too is just having things for personal hygiene. So, um, you know, moist towelettes, garbage bags, plastic ties, so you can discard waste um, that you might have. Uh, Also having some small tools, so a hammer, a wrench, a pliers, these things can come in handy. And we're talking about, you know, disasters on a level of... uh, you know, sort of what we've been, dis- been discussing as far as what happened in Lebanon and um, other, you know, these really big disasters where you might not have these resources, having these things on you can be very useful, um, especially those small tools. Local maps, um, a cell phone with chargers and a backup battery. Uh, don't forget, and as Reed said, if you are any any prescription medications, you want to have that. Um, have soap, hand sanitizer, disinfecting wipes. Um, obviously you want to have some food and hopefully these are are non-perishable items that you would carry. So, I mean, my go-to for, I guess, any situation period is like trail mix, man. Like it never goes bad, you know, has a good caloric content, a lot of protein so that you're not burning through that, you know, as you would with, uh, like carbs and stuff. Um, and that can, that can last a while and it's actually pretty portable. Like you can carry a whole bag of trail mix in a, in a bag. It's not going to take up much space. Um, might have a little bit of weight to it, but you know, definitely not like a, a big meal that you're carrying, um, and taking up space in that bag. Uh, Remember too, it, the plastic bags you put it in are reusable. You can use it for other things like carrying water. If you have to pick it up from someplace, a lot of people say you should have a little bit of bleach with you. If mm-hmm. for some reason you don't have any drinkable water, you put a couple of drops of bleach in the water and it makes it drinkable. So stuff like that, you can reuse the bags and do put water in it or something like that. But having the other stuff there is helpful too. Got it. I'm with you. And then as far as, um, you know, some other things that were mentioned on the FEMA site, having a battery powered or hand crank radio, uh, which I completely look past. You know, if you go into like Dwayne Reed or something, you'll see these things. And I'm like, who buys that anymore? But this is <laughs> this is why those things are still on the shelves. And thank God they're still there. Um, but those can definitely come in handy, um, especially for, you know, those situations like what happened in 2003 with the power outage. And especially if we have hurricanes and stuff, you know, the power going out, then these things will be very, uh, very useful. I have um, a hand crank flashlight, too. Oh, for real? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I got to get on the level. Well, hence, you're the, the director of disaster preparedness. So that makes perfect sense. <laughs> like, You should have that. No, I got I got to get on your level. You just gotta have a plan, man. You gotta have a plan. So that, and that's that's really what it it really boils down to. Um, and if you can, you know, uh, one thing that actually caught my eye was having important documents and photos on portable thumb thumb drives and hard drives, um, which is 
you know, I think about it. I'm like, man, Ashley, your family like lost all of that stuff. But um, we do live in an age, man. I would say if we're like really fortunate to have like cloud technology and, you know, all of these things where we can store those documents. So those important documents, your social security cards and birth certificates and stuff. Well, everybody um, has a smartphone, though. Yeah, yeah, true story. Most well, not everybody have a, well, most I know, normal my, people. My mother-in-law has a burner phone. Well, we were joking. <laughs> no, nah, so we, we were joking. We was like, she has like a flip phone or whatever. So, we, you know, one of, um, one of our good friends of the family was joking on her about her phone. But, yes, yeah, so most people have smartphones. Yes. <laughs> even with a flip phone, you still have a camera. So take a picture of your credit cards, front and back. Take a picture of your passport. Take a picture of all the important stuff and – if you have a smartphone, you can put it in the hidden section of your phone. But having a picture of all those documents is super important because they, you never know when you're going to need them. Having a paper copy helps too, but having it in your phone, you have it with you all the time. And I'm so glad that you said that because I feel like with all of the technology that we have, we, I think we sometimes fail to use it for stuff like this, right? Like um, we use it for everything else. We'll watch you know, all of the entertainment in the world and and do all of these courses online and stuff and, and connect with each other from afar like we're doing right now. But when it comes to like simple stuff um, like this, like just taking those pictures and storing them away in safe places, as we said, on um, digital media, uh, that's something that we really we have the opportunity to do now, whereas before we, we never had those capabilities. And so it's really just taking advantage of of this technology and what we have uh, before us. Store those pictures in the cloud, too, because if your phone goes hmm. in the East River, you still have pictures on the cloud of your credit cards, of your passport, and anything else that you need for it, your birth certificate. You should have all those things. Social Security card. You should have pictures of all those things stored away someplace that you can get to them. True story. Um, FEMA even goes to the length of saying that keeping your kit or your go bag in places that you regularly frequent. So, obviously, you want something in the home uh, if you can, having something in your car and or your workplace. And um, they actually have an app now, FEMA app, where you can sign up for text alerts uh, from FEMA. And um, this way you can just sort of be aware of what's happening. Now, I think that's another sort of um, big area of concern is sort of how information travels when things like this happen. Um, and so when we talk about these larger disasters, right? Information becomes kind of like a currency. Like if you have the right information, it could mean the difference between life and death. And uh, one thing that we've sort of seen is uh, the problem with misinformation. Um, I do now, I do want to say, preface this by saying that I think the vast majority of individuals, right? When we put information out there, it is with the intent of doing good, uh, there are some individuals out there that try to capitalize, you know, for different reasons and, and put information that might not be as useful uh, or beneficial out there. But we really have to make sure we rely on um, reliable sources of information. Um, you know, it's fortunate that we're, we're in this age where we have sort of instant communication through like social media and stuff. Um, but as useful as that can be in, in, giving us the heads up on something that is developing or taking place, really having a place where you are going to get reliable information that you can make decisions based off of, um, that's going to be absolutely critical, right? And anything that you're gathering from social media um, or from other sources, you want to make sure that you verify that information with um, some of these suggested sources and one of them is um, actually you can text, and I did this already, um, text the word prepare to 43362, and then you receive text messages of preparedness tips from FEMA. And actually, um, Dr. Silverberg brought up nyc.gov slash notify NYC, which in the case of any disaster, they would have uh, regularly sort of broadcasted updates on what's happening. Um, anybody else, anybody could think of any other, I know we get those alerts and stuff like the Apple alerts and whatnot on things that are happening, like the flash floods and stuff, flash flood warnings and whatnot. Um, that stuff is so crucial. man. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And I think that's, uh, something definitely to bring up, you know, that maybe that's not the time to like go to your favorite blogger or podcaster even 
<laughs> so yeah. I would it's even say, time, <laughs> I mean, if we can, man, I, mean, I guess with the technology and what we're doing with the podcast now, we can maybe get out, get some information out there, um, even from health in Harlem. But I would still, even from us, encourage you to go to, um, you know, a higher source, man, like going to, as we said, the CDC, FEMA, um, the Department of Homeland Security. And I know we have uh, some of the issues that are taking place at, you know, political stuff that's going on at those larger uh, levels of government. But one thing I can attest to um, is really just you, you have some hardworking people in these agencies that are dedicated to making sure that we're safe. And um, in those times of crisis, that information uh, can be very useful. And I would take that over anything that I'm hearing uh, off of social media, or at least to, to cross check what I'm hearing, you know, from the chatter of other individuals. Um, yeah, the cross check. So you can go to outside the United States too. Go to Al Jazeera. Go to mm. other other news sources outside the country. Yeah, don't or, or basically what it boils down to is don't just have one source for all of your information. Um, that that's I think that's so so critical, uh, and and you know it definitely could mean a difference between you know life and death. Um, so definitely make it sure you have a good solid source for information and have that crank radio going. And WHCR, as I said, um, so this is a, a high, you know, something I'm very proud of, man, because um, thanks to, I want to thank Angela Hardin and, you know, our general manager of the station um, at WHCR 90.3 FM. I also want to thank Tina Dixon um, and really just all the leadership um, at WHCR and really the city college as well. Um, because they have really established themselves as leaders in the disaster preparedness plans in Harlem. Like, uh, you know, they've really just really have, have taken the lead in and working on that. Um, you know, WHCR is sort of that that center for information. Um, and I think it's actually perfect just in the, lo- the location of it at the top of the hill. And I think it was strategically chosen because you know, it's at the top of that hill on 135th Street and Convent Avenue. Um, and the station is like right there in the basement. So anything that happens above it probably won't affect the station. And, um, you know, we broadcast and, and we are going to be or are a center for emergency uh, information that will be going out. So you can definitely tune into the um, 90.3 WHCR uh, for information regarding any potential disasters that arise. In light of the recent tragedy in Lebanon, the Health in Harlem team is looking to step up to help in the recovery efforts underway. Health in Harlem has established a GoFundMe page that will go live on Friday, August 14th, 2020 at 7 p.m. If you wish to support the relief and recovery of our brethren in Beirut, Lebanon, you can find us on Podbean, Facebook, Just type in Health in Harlem in the search box and we pop right up and you'll be directed to the page from there. Again, the Health in Harlem relief campaign is underway and you can be the difference between suffering and survival. So uh, let's get into um, going back uh, to the go bags. What? do you think Dr. Silverberg would be sort of the ideal setup for this? And I, I was thinking about this too, actually, like uh, carrying a duffel bag, I don't know, a book bag, or what would you say is a, a smart decision? You know, anything that has a lot of space inside where you can carry a lot of stuff is helpful. But I think the best setup is probably a tactical backpack. Tactical backpacks have a lot of compression straps where you could put blankets or clothing on the outside and strap it to it. They often have bladders inside, so you can carry liquids inside the backpack. Uh, a large volume. So it's really a good idea. It has a lot of pockets. It has places you can clip stuff to. It's actually really a good idea to make that your go bag. Got it. Or something that maybe Reed could attach his tent to. I was, that was the first, I don't think they even mentioned that in the FEMA ones. <laughs> it's like a couple of actually, I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty dope, man. And there's some portable things out there that you can carry um, tents. I know one thing they did mention was like sleeping bags and stuff. Um, yeah. That stuff all blanket. attaches to the straps on the outside of the uh, tactical backpack. Got it. 
And I assume it depends on like the person who's carrying the bag too, because I'm thinking about my grandmother right now. And, you know, if there's elderly people living by themselves in a the house. They can't manage all these items in a book bag mm. or in a compression backpack. So maybe like a miniature suitcase. I don't know, 361, something, something like that. Like a, like a yeah. cart that they take to the grocery store. Yeah. Something like that. Let's think about the backpack. It has a, a waist strap. So you actually take a lot of the weight off your shoulders and put it on your hips. So it makes it a nice way to move stuff around. Mm. And, you know, even going back to that, thank you for bringing that up, Ashley, because um, individuals that might not be as mobile, right, really designing plans and coming up with um, ways to get to those individuals, right, um, as far as who is going to check on uh, your grandmother or maybe your aunt that might be a little older, maybe they're, they're not as mobile, as some of us. And so really designating people are coming up with plans and backup plans, right. Or individuals that are sort of the backup, um, that would go and check on these, these people and, and make sure that they're safe and that they have the supplies they need. Um, that's definitely something that I, I think we really need to, um, sort of think about in each of our families. Well, not even uh, your family, but your elderly neighbors. Who's going to check. Yeah, on them? If have, yeah. If they have no family, who's going to check on them? Yeah. True story. Um, so coming up with those those plans ahead of time and thinking about those individuals, um, that is that's going to be clutch because, um, you know, especially in these situations like what happened uh, with Hurricane Katrina, where, you know, a lot of um, elderly individuals, people with disabilities were essentially stranded. Right. Um, with the flooding and stuff that took place. And, um, you know, if, if there are going to be things like evacuation plans, for instance, having that stuff sort of thought out who's going to evacuate this individual, where you're going to go uh, with them and getting those individuals to safety sooner rather than later, especially if it is something that we have advanced notice of, right? Like a hurricane is coming, then maybe rather than waiting for things to get bad, um, you know, those, those individuals in our families or those people on our blocks, maybe we evacuate them first, right? And get them to uh, safer areas, um, ahead of time before things get um, really bad. That's something uh, definitely to think about. Um, I think one more thing that we can really touch on is really just what we can do individually. Um, aside from creating the go bad bags and really laying out these plans is just certain skills that we can sort of acquire to help us manage these situations and not only take care of ourselves, but others as well. And uh, one of them that's really easy and, and pretty cheap and actually can get sponsorship to, to acquire these skills is um, learning CPR. Um, definitely tons of resources out there to help you do so. And it is something that uh, can be life-saving um, in many different situations, right? Just having this sort of basic skill, learning how to use a fire extinguisher. Uh, if you are a homeowner especially for houses like learning how to shut off the gas and the electricity and water valves to your home uh, for any impending disasters um, one you know as far as safeguarding your house that's something that can definitely be useful but also um, can be potentially life-saving as well and then uh, another thing too uh, is registering with the american red cross safe and well program in order to let your family know that you're okay um, if you are separated from them, um, just sort of having this central database where you can sort of check in and, and send messages to loved ones to let you know, uh, to let them know how you're doing. Um, it's actually pretty cool. You you put your information up. Then they have a privacy statement there. I mean, it is the Red Cross. I think I would trust them over something like uh, Facebook or <laughs> some other entity, um, even though we give all of them our information too. Uh, but yeah, this is a central database. Essentially, you put some uh, information in there, your name, um, your age. You can also send a little message and you post it on essentially it was like kind of like a big message board and your family can check check that directory and and find you if something were uh, to happen. And so this way you can sort of indirectly let them know that you're OK um, and they can check on you. And so obviously, if you registered for, for something like this, you would let them know that you've done so. Um, and really, I would encourage um, entire families to do this so that if everybody got separated or something happened, you can actually check in uh, with one another. But yeah, man, that's 
that's it. So do we feel ready for a disaster? I don't know. Are you, how do you feel? Prepared actually. Yeah, I don't hope for the back of this conversation. Mm. For sure. Yeah. This conversation has made me realize that I do have some holes in my emergency preparedness. Um, but yeah, you have to make sure your ladder is long enough. Make sure the ladder is long enough. (laughs) (laughs) But part of having this conversation means that you can recognize those holes and then try and fill them in as best as possible. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the key, man. Even if uh, you don't get down to the nitty gritty of of writing all of this stuff out, um, I can imagine having this meeting with Christine. I mean, Imani is four, so she's just gonna go with the program. But uh, sitting down and writing this out with my wife um, can see us definitely like disagreeing on where we're gonna go or what. what. But at the same the right time, toys. it's crucial, huh? Yeah, bring the right toys. Yeah, bring the right toy. Yeah, no, that's one thing. We, uh, yeah, hell yeah, that's gonna be in my go bag for sure. I didn't even think about that. Thank you very much, because that will be a. <laughs> um, actually, we, we did write recreational in the outline, recreational um, activities and stuff. Uh, that's that's gonna be crucial. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm gonna adopt the tent idea. I'm just definitely gonna take that. I'm definitely gonna take the tactical bag. Thank you very much, uh, Mark, for that suggestion. Um, I definitely will be doing that. Uh, I'm trying to think if anything else would be in my go bag. I guess I would have those portable chargers for electronic devices. That would be clutch. Solar chargers. This wouldn't ah, require any batteries. I didn't even think about it. Okay. Stepping it up there. And bring a tarp. A tarp and a rope functions as a tent, functions for a whole lot of different things. Be much more functional than a tent. Tarpen have you heard of people creating like, or this is, this literally just dawned on me. Um, I don't know, Mark, if you've ever come across any literature sort of recommending like a stash kind of like, kind of like you create like a, a cache of supplies. Um, and so, you know, like what happened in Lebanon, for instance, where, you know, blocks were leveled and people's homes were destroyed and if they had their go bags there they probably couldn't retrieve them or use them um so having some place outside of the home or outside of places um that you might stash yeah, definitely so, have one in your car have one at work have one in your, where you frequent often got it i think that's uh that's definitely part of the plans then too um now that i think about it yeah because if you got one go bag man and that place is a disaster or goes out with everything, you know, that's not going to be usable as as well. Murphy's Law, man. Murphy's Law. Yeah. All right. Ashley, go your wrong, go back. Go everything Anything. that was mentioned. All you know, right. I might get up. fancy and I might put a solar panel on my book bag. They'll see how that goes. <laughs> I might get a little fancy. They, they have those. I've seen a company that makes that. They have yeah. Them. Yeah. All righty. Um, before we wrap up, folks, any, I guess, what would you say is the, and we'll start with you, Dr. Silverberg, what would you say is the most important message that our listening audience uh, must take away from, from this program? Be prepared and drill and practice. If you do it, then it's not the first time you'll do much better. So Reed should have gone down that ladder. I'm not saying <laughs> no, I'm that. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, at he least he had the, the ladder, yo. That's dope. Nah, he had the ladder, so that's that's a, a leg up over many households, I think, in this country. That's huge. Um, yeah, I guess my message would be, uh, yeah, I agree with you in being prepared and really just, um, as I said, uh, taking that challenge and taking it, it. Let's look at this as an investment, right? You invest, you know, we invest money, we invest our time and attention to all sorts of other things. And I think that investment in time and sitting down and crafting these plans with our loved ones and with ourselves, really just starting with yourself as an individual um, can pay untold, right? You can't put a price on your life essentially um, or being able to avert disaster. Um, And so that's, that's one thing I would say to take home is like really just to um, actually craft the time or, set aside some time to actually make this happen. And one last thing, I'm sorry, before I let you guys give your uh, last statements. Um, Also, there is a a component of mitigation at the political level, I would say, and really putting your vote where your mouth is. Um, 
I think that's something important. We see what happened with, with our, you know, loved ones in, uh, in Lebanon is, is very unfortunate, but this was something that at the highest levels of government in that country, right. They, those people were failed. And, you know, I definitely see some, uh, stuff that's happening here in this day and age. Um, and I'm not even just saying with our current administration, I've seen it even before them, um, definitely a little bit more so recently, but, um, we got to put our, our votes where our mouths are, right. The deregulation of certain industries is setting us up for very, uh, similar problems to what happened, uh, just last week in Lebanon. And so we have to be active and, and really put people in office that are, going to look at these things just as we're talking about them now look at these potential risks to society put in measures in place to protect us and give us plans that'll help us get out of it and even we talk about uh things like now what's happening with with uh COVID-19 and the pandemic putting measures in place to help us avert disasters like what we're currently going through and so uh, yep we have an election coming up in November and so uh take that into account as well that'll be the biggest disaster yet yeah, uh, no. <laughs> oh boy, I'm I'm anxious about that, but uh, it's good. You know what? I'm I'm positive though. I think uh, with what's happened, um, and and just as with uh, like for instance, what happened with Sandy, right? And uh, it's unfortunate. You know, the basement was destroyed for Ashley's family, but you guys have have learned from that and and took some measures to protect the house and and uh, valuables for your family. Right. Just learning from what happened. And I think that's something that we'll see in November. I'm confident, man, that this is we're going to see some uh, some changes that I think will be positive. All right. It's not a political show, ladies and gentlemen. There's no endorsements or anything here. I'm just saying I think people will, I don't know, make some decisions that will be better. We just hope that (laughs) they do. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. All right. With that said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, well, actually, first, I want to thank Dr. Silverberg once again. Thank you very much for joining us and spending this time with us. And you're always welcome to come back. I'd love uh, to. Mo. Thanks for having programs. me. Yes, indeed. And one more thing, too. I got to shout you out for that. I didn't know you were a Dallas Cowboys fan. When did that happen? Since four years old. Uh, seriously? You know what? I think we talked about that in the pods one time. Since I was four years and old. I and chose, I chose to erase it from my memory because I was like, <laughs> oh, I love Mark. How could he be a Cowboy? I'm a Giants fan. This can't. <laughs> No. Uh, damn, you wore that on purpose. It's anyway. a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> nah, it's all good. It's all good. I still love you, though. Um, yeah, uh, also, thank you, uh, Reed and Ashley, the Health in Harlem family. Also, shout out to Giorgio. Um, and actually, Giorgio and his family, um, his relatives over in Lebanon. Thank God everybody um, is okay. But, you know, we are praying for them, and we are definitely um, sort of with you all. And so we definitely want to send a shout out to them. Um, Anastasia, we want to shout out Zach Worley as well. Ben Suferi, DJ, Michael Holmes, the whole Health in Harlem family. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this show is dedicated to the memory of Miss Gloria Thomas. Harlem, take care of yourself. Thank you.